Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor Tyson Harold. In 2005, 26% of 18 to 34-year-olds were living with their parents. By 2015, that number rose to 34%, and that doesn't seem like that big a change, except for the researchers had to add nine years, so 18 to 43, to capture all the people living at home with their parents. Now, that might be for good reason. It could be education. They needed to, to save money and go to school, and so they decided to stay at home with mom and dad. It could be that they had a job transition where they just didn't have a place to stay, but the reality is, is that over 2.2 million people aged 18 to 34 are living at home with their parents with no plans for going to school and no job. On top of that, teen anxiety rates, depression rates, and suicide rates are higher than they've ever been before, which leads me to believe we may have a problem. Maybe. And those negative statistics can get you down if you think about them for too long. It's interesting that we might be celebrating the wrong things as a culture. That while fame and notoriety and beauty and success are, are admirable to go after, we might be celebrating the wrong things. You see, in the, in the Bible, it's actually you're praised. Youth and the idea of youth are praised. That they could set the example in the way that they love people in their conduct, in their speech, in their purity, and in their actions. And it could be that we've been looking at the wrong things in this season of youth. If you've not been with us, we're looking at the seasons of life. Pastor John started last week with children. This week is youth. Next week is adults. And the week after that is, I think it's called the glory of age or seasoned individuals. And so this week we're going to talk about youth. It's true. Are they narcissistic? Yes. Do they play too much Fortnite? Absolutely. Do they watch too much Netflix and spend too much time on their phones? 100% yes. But it's entirely possible that we've discounted the fact that God might want to use them to help us learn something. So don't discount what God may want you to learn from the people that you would least expect. And while today our focus is on the idea of youth, we will move on to other areas of our life and how that plays out. But we can't allow ourselves to discount the fact that God has placed people into our life, even younger people, that we can learn from. And so don't discount what God may want you to learn from somebody that you least expect. If you have your Bibles today, flip over to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, and that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it. But Luke chapter 2, verse 41, we pick up the story of Jesus' young life, and he's 12 years old in this story. Now, we don't have a whole lot of information from the time that Jesus is born to the time that he enters his earthly ministry. There's only two, maybe three stories that reference that time of his life. But in first century Jewish culture, when you became 12 years old, boy or girl, you now became obligated to keep the law. Up until this point, you learned about the law. You, you sat under the law, but you, you were not responsible for keeping it until you hit the age of 12. So once a young man or a young woman became 12 in first century Jewish culture, they were, they were under the obligation to start following what God had commanded. And it was on that part that they made a transition into youth up to adulthood. The other problem we have with talking about youth culture is that no one can agree on when it starts and when it ends. Some researchers say it starts at 12 years old and it goes up to 24 years old. 
There's a growing number of people, it's called extended adolescence, that wants to push that number even further, closer to the age of 30. Now, I could speak for an entire hour on why I think this has happened, and, but it really doesn't matter. The point is, is that God might be using young people and the things that they bring to the table to help us learn from it. And Jesus set the example for this even at a young age of 12. There are things that we can learn from Jesus' life and how he interacted with people that will apply to every single person, regardless of your season at this point in your life. And so I'm looking forward to jumping into this today. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says that every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom, and after the festival was over, his parents were returning home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated your mother and father like this? We were both anxiously searching for you. Jesus replied, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Every year. You may have a family vacation that you're used to. Some people choose to go to Florida. And this 15-hour car ride, 17-hour car ride is nothing compared to the every year trip that Jesus and his family took. The other thing that's interesting about this passage is it says that every year, I'm sure this was a difficult thing. You see, the one thing that you have to understand is that Nazareth was 60 miles from Jerusalem, and it was not an easy walk. If you look on the map behind me, this is present day with the roads put in, and there's still no road directly tying them together. Nazareth sits down in a bowl, and Jerusalem is up on top of a mountain, and so it'd be like us saying after church, we're going to walk to Danville, Illinois. Now, that wouldn't be too bad. We have nice roads. We have some cornfields to walk through. This would have been up and over mountains. It would have been a three to four day journey. And it said that every year, Jesus' parents did this. So for 12 years. Now, by the time Jesus hits 12 years old, it was easy. He could carry himself. He could walk along and help other, things, other people along. But when, that was, when he was a young boy, one, two, three, four, can you imagine parents helping your young ones on a 60-mile journey every year to get back to celebrate Passover. Remember, they were celebrating Passover, which commemorated the fact that God had delivered them out of Egypt. And specifically, if you were a Jew and lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you had to go every year. And the goal for everyone else is that you'd make it at least once in your lifetime. The truth that we come to understand behind this is that the family holds the greatest influence in a kid's life. You see, as parents, we set the spiritual temperature of our home. And every year, they took their kids. I'm sure their kids wanted to sleep in. I'm sure they had a busy week taking care of the sheep. I'm sure that everything was difficult and everything was preventing them. Keep in mind, Jesus' parents were pretty much poor. But they set this as a precedent in their life. And they set this as something that was important. And many of you do that as well. And I want to say thank you for trusting the church. But here's the thing. At best, we get 52 hours with your kids. And you have so many more. The other thing that we come to understand from this is that if it's not important to you, it won't be important to them. And what I mean by that is some people will tell me from time to time, thanks Tyson for letting our kids hang out here. It, we come to church for them. 
Can I just warn you about that? If you come to church only for your kids, um, young people are incredibly adept at finding out when people are fake. And one day they will find that out in your life. One day they will come to see that it's not important to you and it'll fail to be important to them. And for whatever reason, Jesus' parents said, every year we're going to Passover. And so that's what they did, and that kind of sets the tone of what they were doing. The family does hold the greatest influence in a kid's life, and you as parents and us as the church get a tremendous opportunity to help kids figure out their faith. Take a look at verses 42. It says, when Jesus was 12, he went up there. After the festival was over, verse 43, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, how many of you as parents, true confession time, have lost a kid? If you've not lost a kid... You've not been a parent long enough. I have been in the store, and I thought my kids were there, and they were gone, right? And it, you can imagine this happened with Joseph. Joseph's like, oh, Mary's got her, and Mary's like, oh, Joseph's got her, and they start heading back from the festival. Keep in mind that the festival was a huge deal. Most people believe that Jerusalem expanded to over a million people during the, the week of Passover. From a city of 250,000 to a city of a million, there would have been so many people leaving this area. Now, what most scholars believe happened is, is that Jesus' family, as they head back, usually they would send the women and children first because they would have young kids and they'd have to go slower and take more breaks and stop at the rest stop and do all of the things they would have to do. But Jesus' family, they think, well, Joseph's got her or Mary's got her, and there's this huge conglomeration of people headed out of, out of uh, Jerusalem to head back to Nazareth, and they just misplace them. It wasn't, as some people think, Jesus was not trying to be disobedient here. He simply was not among his mom and dad. And like I said, this gives me great hope for my family. It should give you great hope for your family that it, it's going to be okay. But here's what we can take away from this story. In verse 40, uh, 45, it's, or 44, it goes on to say, They began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Verse 46, After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for him. Jesus was listening and asking questions to people. And he was sitting there. Um, when I was about nine years old, my parents took me to NASA to see the space shuttle. And I got lost from them. I can tell you, I was not sitting anywhere. I was running around frantically in tears trying to find my parents. But for whatever reason, Jesus was fine with it. He was going to sit there and listen to the teachers and see what he could take in from this experience. What makes this most interesting to me, the great paradox story is that Jesus was willing to learn from the people who would one day crucify him. He was willing to learn from the people who would one day crucify him, and he humbled himself and made himself obedient even to them. And he took time to sit back and listen. So please do not discount what God may want you to learn from the people that you would least expect. It might be a boss. It might be a coworker. It might be a friend. It might be someone who's not from our country, who doesn't have the same skin color as you, who doesn't look like you. But God uses a variety of systems in a variety of ways to help us learn and help us develop into the people that he wants us to become. And so to please don't discount what God may want you to use because Jesus set the example at the age of 12 how to learn from people who would one day crucify him. And that blows my mind. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And at times he would willingly lay down his God qualities, right? He was born a baby. He grew up through the time of youth into an adult. 
We know that after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, he picked up some of his God qualities. He started walking through walls. We don't have any evidence of that prior to this. So there are certainly things that he would have had to learn. He did not come to earth as a man. He came to earth as a baby. So when later when Luke says that he grew in wisdom and stature, he grew intellectually and physically and spiritually and emotionally. And it looks like, from what we can tell, is that Jesus at age 12 starts to put some of these pieces together. Oh, that makes sense from the Old Testament, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And he starts to put these things together because he's learning and growing along the way. Now, we know at a certain point in his life, he, he figures it all out, obviously, and he knows it all anyways, but he's willingly set some of those things aside at times to do what God wanted him to do. So you may indeed learn from people that you would not expect. How many of you are salespeople in the room? Any salespeople in the room? You guys do this like every week, right? You get called to a sales meeting. If you've never been a part of a sales meeting, this is what happens in a sales meeting. I was in sales five years before I did this job. You go, and the person who's teaching the class has never sold anything in their lives. We're not sure they've even been outside of the office before. But they come and they tell you how to do your job, and they're expected to do this. Well, my dad would make me go to these, and I would just be like, Dad, this is terrible. And he's like, you can always walk away with one thing, can't you? And I was like, my next question was, yeah, when I find my one thing, can I leave? And he said, no. So regardless, you salespeople understand this. People all the time give you ideas, and you're like, I don't know if any of that's going to work. You can always find something to learn from someone. And specifically with young people, if Paul told Timothy that you can set the example for the believers in the way that you live, in your conduct, in your purity, in your speech, and in your faith, then it's entirely possible that we've discounted a generation that they're more than just helpers out in the nursery, that they're more than just helpful for mowing your lawn. They could be setting the pace in some of these areas. Now, they do watch too much for or Netflix and play too much Fortnite, and there's a whole host of problems they have that, that, you know what, it's our responsibility to help them figure out how those go together. But whether you're in youth or that age range or not, every single one of us could learn this week that we could definitely learn something from the people around us. Jesus set the example for what that looked like. And when Philippians, Paul said that he was obedient to everything, he was obedient even to death and on a cross, Jesus was willing to humble himself and learn from people that would one day hurt him. Take a look at verse 49. It says that Jesus mentioned to his mom, why were you searching for me? And he asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house but they did not understand what he was saying to them. In the English reading of this, it almost comes like, what, Jesus, are you like being disrespectful to your parents? And the idea that he was saying was that he had to be about his father's business, in his father's house, yes. And so Jesus, I believe, is putting the, the pieces together of what his life is looking like, and as he's growing and developing, he's putting all this together, and he finds the struggle that so many families struggle of how do we let our kids grow up, but yet also help them obey? Well, here's the thing. Jesus did this perfectly, and we find it out in verse 50, that they did not understand him. So Mary and, and Joseph, they had no clue what he was talking about. That's not the only time. Remember, right before the wedding in Cana, she said, hey, why don't you go ahead and do this? And he's like, it's not my time yet. Please don't say anything. They were always trying to figure out that balance of when does Jesus do everything that he can do, and when can Jesus continue to grow up? But 51 is probably one of the most important verses. If you're a young person, matter of fact, let me just say this. If you're living at home, you need to underline verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So Jesus gets separated from his parents. His parents come back. They're scared to death. They find him. He says, I got to be in my, my father's house. He probably is, is being reminded and learning things that he just 
the depth of conversation for those people compared to what he was dealing with in Nazareth had to be on his level. But he left that because he was humble and obedient, and he went back to them. And the idea is, is that he's obedient to them continually. And for the next 12-ish years, Jesus goes back and learns how to be a carpenter. He goes back, and he's obedient to his parents. And he spends this time, and he does not waste it. He obeyed, he waited, and here is perhaps the best lesson for every single person in this room today, is that he did the hard part. He obeyed, and he humbled himself, and he waited for God's plan. John Ortberg says it this way, that waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. So whatever season of life you're in right now, if you're a child, you, as a child, you just want to be bigger and stronger and faster. I'm still hoping I get stronger and faster one day, but I know that I'm probably on the downhill slide. As a young person, you just want to be an adult. You don't want to be with the responsibility of being an adult, but you want to be treated like an adult. As an adult, you're just looking for the next great promotion. You're looking for the next great event in your family's life, and we're always looking ahead. And for those of you who are headed towards the end, you're looking forward to being home. And there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with any of those. But my fear is, is that we miss out on the part that Jesus just showed us what to do. We miss out on that waiting period. Maybe you're waiting for a new job to open up. Maybe you're waiting for your relationship with your wife to get back together. Maybe you're waiting for your kids to finally obey you. Can I tell you something? There's two things that we learn in the waiting John Ortberg says it's the process of what God uses to make us into the people that we ought to be. So first off, number one, waiting gives us a chance to work on ourselves. It gives us the chance to develop ourselves. And this is what Jesus did, right? He goes back, he's obedient to his parents, and he spends time learning how to build things. And he spends time interacting with people. And he spends time developing his faith. We know that he spent time in the synagogue close to Nazareth. And so we know that he did those things, right? When you're in the midst of waiting, regardless of the season that you're in, don't waste the waiting times, but use them for an opportunity to work on yourselves. And number two, waiting gives us the chance to exercise our faith. And this is the one that personally I've experienced probably the most, right? It gives us a chance to exercise our faith. God, I know that you probably want me to do this, but I, I feel like I'm stuck here. And for so many people in so many seasons, that's how you feel. And I just urge you today to, to not waste that waiting moment, that waiting time, that waiting season, however it is. Most likely, you're having the opportunity to develop yourself. And number two, you have the opportunity to develop your faith. If we never had to wait any, for anything and we just got whatever we want, we would have no need for God. We'd have no need for any sort of relationship with other people. And so he forces us to do this at times and to wait on things. And in verse 51, it says, he went down and he was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. We know that Luke records these words after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. And my guess is when Mary looks back, right, for you young moms in the, the, the building, you're going to understand this probably better than I could. When, he, when she looked back, it said that Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's the second time that Mary pondered anything in her heart. The first time was after the angels came and told her that Jesus was going to be great and he was going to do some really cool things. My guess is, is when Mary looked back after several years of Jesus being gone, she wasn't frustrated by the fact that they lost him in Jerusalem. She was thinking back to how he respected and obeyed her. And she treasured those moments. 
mothers and fathers in the room, I know there's a lot of moments when they don't respect you and they don't obey you. But apparently Mary had spent time and she treasured this moment that Jesus came back, was obedient to them, and he used this time advantageously. Lastly, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. It's evident that while Jesus is 100% God, he's also 100% man, and that as he developed, he developed spiritually and he developed emotionally and physically, and he not only developed in the way that we would know a man through the season of youth, but he also grew in favor with God and with man. And we come to find out that had Jesus wasted any of that time, if you and I waste any of that time, we, we lose the opportunity for God to develop our faith and we lose the opportunity to work on ourselves. And so the truth of the matter is there's a lot of people in this room, specifically younger people, who are smarter than I am. It wouldn't take much. But they lack wisdom. And it says that Jesus grew in wisdom during this time. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom, and I lack wisdom, and you lack wisdom, so we should probably be asking for wisdom. You know, young people have a lot of energy, and they're pretty intellectually smart, but they lack wisdom. And here's the cool part. As a church, we get to help them with that. I'm going to explain in just a few moments how I think this applies to parents, students, and also to the rest of the church. But it's, I love the fact that our church is multi-generational. I told somebody this a couple weeks ago, and he said, every pastor says their church is multi-generational. I'm like, no, we really are. And there, you may have noticed the past couple weeks, there were some photographers in here taking pictures for a new website we have coming out. And the photographer said, everybody always says they're multi-generational, but you guys actually are. Now, why that is important is a couple of things. It reflects the whole, whole body of Christ. And it gives us an opportunity to learn from each other, right? We don't want to discount the fact that God might use a younger person in your life to help you learn something new. He also might use an older person, and I'm thankful for the older in this room, who've stopped me and said, that's probably not a good idea. So as we look at this, it's been said that whoever reaches the hearts and minds of our students owns the future, and I 100% agree with that. And so with that, I would like to give some uh, thoughts I don't know if any of this works, this is just what I think, about what each uh, group of people should do. So parents, we'll start with you. Um, number one, first and foremost, point them back to the gospel. Point your kids, your sons, your daughters, your grandkids, your grand, whoever, nieces, nephews, point them back to the gospel. It's not a matter of if they'll fail, it's when they'll fail. And we can't allow ourselves to see our, our, our young people's failures and miss out on what God might be trying to teach us through them. Because where would we be if God treated us like that? Where would you be if God treated you like that? That every failure that you made somehow held you liable. That's not the gospel. And so the gospel is, is that, that we are all forgiven if we ask for it, that Jesus Christ loves you and died for you and paid for every single failure in your life. I am reminded of the, the quote from Jerry Bridges, your worst days are never beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the, the need of God's grace. My daughter turns 12 in two weeks, my oldest daughter, and I told her last night, I said, Calla, I've never parented a 12-year-old in my life. I have no clue what I am doing. But if you will show me grace... And I'll show you grace, like Jesus showed his parents, right? Jesus probably by this time is starting to figure everything out. He knows the Jewish law better than they'll ever hope to know the Jewish law. 
But he went back and he's obedient to him. I said, Cal, if you figure this out, if you and I can show each other grace over the next year, we might stand a fighting chance and make it up to 13. <laughs> By the way, if uh, this idea of showing each other grace is not new, um, John mentioned this last week, but Tim Kimmel, who wrote Grace-Based Parenting, one, I think one of the best books on parenting, he will be here next August, so make sure you write that down for being a part of it. But here's the other part, is that even though we have young people and parents, you, you need to use your discretion and, and pray about this because they're your kids. You can never go wrong pointing them back to the gospel. Number two, it's your first chance to treat them as an adult, not your last chance to treat them as a child. We live in the safety generation, right? We put helmets on everyone. We give seatbelts to everyone, even if they're not moving. We do whatever is safe. Safety is our paramount concern. And I'm afraid in our midst of trying to protect everyone, we've sheltered our kids so much that we've not allowed them to fail, that we've not allowed them to, to maybe even get hurt just a little bit. And that could be why we have such a struggle as a society of having people so far into their late 20s still trying to figure out how to get out of the house. And so what I would suggest, what I'm trying to do in my own kid's life is to call them up. In the scriptures, you always see people being called up to something better, up to something more powerful, up to something, right? When Paul told Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ, that's a tough, tough call. But apparently, Timothy figured it out, and Timothy's not a whole lot older than probably 18 or 19 at this point, because he was setting the example for people in the way that he lived his life. So it's your first chance to treat him as an adult. Jesus had this opportunity as well, right? They started at 12 years old, holding him to the law, and they also started at 12 years old, hey, come be an apprentice with your dad and figure this out. I don't know what it's like for your kids. I don't know what age that happens. Um, there's experts in the room. You can ask Tina. She'd be able to tell you when that should happen. But we've got to call them up because they have literally the power of God residing inside of them. They have gifts that God has given them, and they absolutely can make a difference in the world, in this, specifically in their world. Number three for parents, um, this one's more for me, but I figure if i got to learn it, you got to learn it. Um, don't stop engaging them. Put the phone down and be with your kids. Keep loving them, showing them grace, and don't stop engaging them. Uh, Gary Balswick in his family research book recently noted that, and I never thought of this before, when an adolescent hits their peak of adolescence, whatever age you want to define that at, 17, 18, wherever, usually the parent is hitting a midlife crisis of their own. So now you have two crazy people in the family. Right? And the problem with that is, is that what happens? As parents, what do we do? We pull out our phone and we disengage. We don't talk to our friends. We don't talk to somebody at church that could help us that's a little further down the road. We stop engaging. We hold on to everything and we withdraw and isolate ourselves. Our students, on the other hand, go and they go to an entire building where there's nobody that knows anything other than the teachers, right? All the other students are just crazy and they have their own ideas of what they think they should do. And then we wonder why it's so tough to be at home. And so my suggestion, really Gary's suggestion was really just put the phone down and keep loving them and showing them grace and pointing them back to the gospel and being engaged in their lives. They are going to pull away, which is why what I'm going to tell you in a minute is really important. But don't stop engaging them. They're going to have times where they don't want to talk to mom and dad. Don't stop engaging them because that's what you're called to do. Students, if you're a student in this room, uh, we're going to go ahead and say from 12 to 24 just because that's the seem to be the mean of, of most of the ages. Number one, seek wisdom and pursue humility. 
When you look at what Jesus did, he sought wisdom and he pursued humility. Solomon says that you should, you should seek wisdom like it's a hidden treasure. Go find it. Go figure out what it, wisdom is. Go talk to the people around you. Learn from people different from you. And seek ultimate true wisdom from God's word. So seek wisdom and then pursue humility. Jesus had every right to say, I already heard this story. Matter of fact, I was there when that one happened. Right? Creation, yep, was there. Going through the Old Testament, yep, remember that one. He had every reason to do that. But instead, he humbled himself. He sat under somebody who would never have thought to listen to. So seek wisdom, pursue humility. It blows my mind sometimes when I hear students, especially uh, this one happens at least once a year. It probably won't now that I don't deal with students as much. But you'd have a high school girl who would be in a relationship, and it would all go, to, go bad. And she would go ask another high school girl who's never been in a relationship before what she should do. And it, it, what happens? It falls apart, right? And everybody's crying, and it's bad. And I would usually come back to her, and I would say, have you ever asked your parents? Because they at least had one successful relationship. They're old. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, okay. Now, we laugh at that because you all know that, but we do the same thing as adults. You have people who have been in your industry, been in your career, been a part of your life, and they're, they're, they're graduated, they're retired now that we could ask these questions. Hey, what happened when the, when the big merger took effect, and how did you handle that? We have people that have raised a lot of kids, and some have been good, and some have not been so good. And we have this collective wisdom and this collective love as a church that I think God, no mistake at all, put us together so that we could help each other out. Uh, students, you see the world so differently. Help us graciously understand it what it looks like. As adults, like I said, we isolate ourselves. We insulate ourselves. We go to work and we take care of our family and as long as we get those two things checked off, it's just a good day. Help us remember that we're called to love people and we're called to see people. The ones that you see and the ones that you want to love, help us see that. You have God-given gifts that we need, which brings me to my last group, the rest of the church. Um, your spiritual gift. Do you know that every single one of you who's a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ for your Savior, you got a spiritual gift for the edification or the building up of the church? Everyone got one. If you don't know what it is, come see me. I'll help you figure out what it is. There's no expiration date on that. And there's also the only start date is the day you became a Christian. So if young people have spiritual gifts, let's, let's look to influence them and help them figure out that, you know what, Fortnite's cool, but all of your day, you could do other things with it, right? And then conversely, the older side, those of you who are headed towards um, one day being in heaven, there's no expiration. The expiration is when you get to heaven. You realize you could stop a lot of stupid things that happen because of your wisdom. And so for those of you who are older, and I've heard people say this, like, hey, I'll just let the young people figure it out now. Let them do it. No, we need your help. We need your wisdom, and we need you to re-engage and to be a part of what's happening, not only here, but around the world in the body of Christ. The other thing that all of the church can do, number one, learn from them, and you'll have the opportunity to help them learn. When we'll humble ourselves and not see young people just as crazy young people, it will open up the door to have some really incredible conversations. And I've seen this happen where, I, I mean, there's a lot of young people that have relationships with older people in the church here and they're learning from each other. But if we'll humble ourselves and learn from them, you'll have the opportunity to help them learn. Over the past 20 years, much has been made over the amount of young people who have left the church after high school. 
There's books on it and all kinds of research, but here's the thing that I've come to find, and research is backing it up. The number one predictor of whether a student will stay in their faith after high school is if they have a caring adult outside of their family investing in their kids. Think about it. Every time you look back over, for those of you who grew up in church, you might remember a camp, you might remember a youth experience, you might remember a trip, but it almost always there's a person in your mind, isn't there? There's a person in your mind that prayed for you, that called you out, told you to quit being stupid, helped you figure life out, and that person is who you, who you think about. I think that's exactly what Paul had in mind when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think if there's anything that we can do as a church, that's what we do. Jake has a great team. He's doing a great job. But there's a lot of kids in this church. Matter of fact, the amount of people in this room right now, 0 to 18, there's just as many kids back behind there right now. So if we were going to do anything, it would be to help them do that. The best place I think this happens is in a small group. You're with other families or other people who are involved that give them an opportunity to see an adult who cares for them, loves for them, and points them towards Jesus. And lastly, number three, rest of the church, pray. Go find a young person here or in the back and just ask them how you can pray for them. Now, here's going to be their response. When you say, how can I pray for you or what can I pray for you about, they're going to say school every time, unless it was three weeks ago. But right now, they're going to say school. And for the first five years of working with students, I got so frustrated. I was like, you don't have anything else in your life, like anything more important, anything else that they don't know how to verbalize that that is their biggest struggle. So it could be that they don't fit in. It could be that they don't really understand school. It could be that they don't have any help at home. It could be a variety of things. So when they say school, don't discount that they may have some real hurts or real concerns happening in their life right now. They just don't know how to say it yet. And what an opportunity for you and for me to say, you know what, I'll pray for that this week. Anything about school that just drives you crazy that I could pray for this week? The other thing, no one's going to turn you down for this. No one's going to be like, that weird person from church, this older guy, turned around and looked at me and said, can he pray for me? None of them are going to say no. And so those are some ways that you could potentially be involved and help out. So at the end of it all, don't discount what God may want you to learn from the people that you would least expect. When adults humble themselves and students humble themselves, I think we reflect what Jesus modeled in Luke chapter 2, that you can learn from anyone. And that if we'll do that as a church, you want to see God move more in this church over the next year? It's when we all humble ourselves and say, look, I can learn from you, you can learn from me. There's things about my life that probably aren't so great, and I need your help to figure that out. And there's parts about your life that I could do that. And if our community would figure that out, I know without the shadow of a doubt that God's spirit moves best among humble, gentle people. He has always worked that way. He's never worked through people that figured out that I'm old and I've got it all figured out. He's never worked through young people that figured out that they were had it all figured out. He's always worked through humble, available people. And so if you think about that in the days and weeks to come, I ask that you would try and do your best to humble yourself and to model what Jesus modeled in Luke chapter 2. It's interesting, Jesus really kind of kept this thing up through his whole ministry. Jesus asked questions the rest of his ministry. He knew the answer to every question he ever asked when he was an adult. But he kept asking questions. And he kept using the opportunity to help people see things from a different perspective. My challenge to you is that young people or your coworkers or that bad boss or that spouse that you can't get along with, they might be able to help you do the same thing. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning and the opportunity we have to see from Jesus' life and his season of life.
God, the season of life that all of us have, we're in certain seasons, and so God, help us not to waste our season. Help us not to waste the waste moments where we can work on ourselves and develop our faith, but God, help us to trust you. And God, I pray that you would help every single person in this room, that we would humble ourselves and realize that we don't have it figured out, that we need each other. And God, we know that you put the body of Christ together ultimately to help one another out and to better represent and glorify you. And so God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us do that this week. God, I pray that you'd put people in our path that we might be able to learn from. And God, that we as Christians might set the pace in what it means to learn from other people especially those that we would like to discount. God, I thank you for the young people and the, the season of youth, and God, I pray that we would learn from them and we would help them learn. In Jesus' name, amen.